Please open in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians. If you turn in the middle of your New Testaments, you'll find those smaller letters written by Paul to churches he served uh, in his ministry, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and you'll come to Colossians. Uh, If you get to uh, Hebrews, you've gone too far. And I'm going to begin reading in just a moment from Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. And you'll notice that is at the end of a paragraph, although in the original language, I don't know that indentation was there. Uh, you'll see why I've included it as we read to through verse 17. This is God's word. Here, speaking of Christ church, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, All these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, In your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thanks be to God for His word. Let me pray for our time together in His presence before His holy scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that. Your word imparts life. It imparts faith. It imparts love for you and for one another. So, Lord, we pray by your spirit and through your word, you would build us up into Christ today. We pray that not only is the effect of this passage this morning, that we would be built up into Christ But we pray that in particular, one of the ways in which you build us up into Christ, our singing and our ministry to one another, would deepen our relationship with you and deepen our relationship and unity with one another too. So I ask you to help me to speak clearly and humbly, for it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, 
when you woke up this morning uh, and realized it was Sunday, what was your first thought? Were you ready to come in a way that was different than last week? Was I ready to gather with you too? This series is intended to both encourage you and remind us and equip us with what has been and continues to be one of our core realities and values as a local church, corporate worship. That's the series we're in, as you see by the slide That's behind me. It's a brief series. It will conclude next week. But you recall last week from Ephesians, Paul reminded us of three realities, three invisible realities to which God calls Christians together in corporate worship. The reality of making visible the kingdom of Christ through our gathering. The reality of being the body of Christ through our care for one another. And the priority of remembering, rehearsing, and rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, as I argued and I tried to give attribution thoroughly, as others have argued that I've been reading... The nature of God and his church as found in scripture shapes what our corporate worship is. And so when we gather as a body, our vision for who the church is informs our understanding of God's purposes in corporate worship. Worship. It's a word I've used many times times already in this message. Worship is one of those ultimate themes in our lives, isn't it? What we worship, what we hold to be ultimate reality, what we treasure, what we determine to be of utmost importance, what brings us the uttermost satisfaction, who or what we look to for security, to what we derive our identity from, the purpose you have when your feet hit the rug on a Monday morning, the hope you cling to during a pandemic. The Bible says that's worship. Worship is one of the ultimate realities of every human life. So the question is not, Are you a worshiper or not? It is what and who are we worshiping and why? Now, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the gospel and the faith which by grace God has enabled to exercise in response to that message towards Christ and his work on the cross and his glorious resurrection, for the Christian worship is about everything we do in order to magnify 
God's glory in Christ because of the grace he's shown us. I'll say that again. It's, it's not new to you. In fact, I affirm that's what we and you live for. Worship is everything we do in our life to magnify God's glory in Christ because of the grace he has shown us. It encompasses all of our life. And so we can worship God everywhere and anytime. But when we gather together, corporate worship has particular purposes and priorities that make the invisible kingdom of Christ visible, that flesh out the body of Christ through our care for one another and help us remember and rehearse the gospel. And one of them is singing. Singing. You were made to sing, and so was I. How did your parents teach you to learn the ABCs? My parents taught me to learn my ABCs by singing them. And I still remember them. And I forget a lot of When I studied New Testament Greek at the pastor's college, my instructor didn't teach me to sing the letters of the Greek alphabet, and I've forgotten most of them. When you want a group of people to celebrate happy birthday, what do you often do, particularly when children are young, but maybe when they're older too? You sing happy birthday. What is Mike Roca Sr., the musical tradition in the eighth inning of every Red Sox game, win or loss? What do we do? We sing, sweet Caroline. Should we do that now? No. They can be winning the game and leading the AL East or one of the worst pitching staffs in the majors, and we're going to sing that song. What has been the most talked about controversy in the NFL for the last five years? It involves singing. Here's my point. Music connects us with others. Live music tends to bring us together. Listening to music is a regular part of your routine. And it often gives expression to our emotions, the season of life we're in, maybe a memory. But make no doubt about it, you were made to sing. Because worship is one of the ultimate realities of our lives. And singing, although not the exclusive expression of worship, is an expression of worship. And so it's not surprising then to find that Paul and his instructions in the closing, if you will, paragraphs of the letter to the Colossians takes up, particularly in verses 16 and 17 of what we just read, the importance of singing. But parents, here's my question for you that are with your children at home or send your children to us. Thank you in children's ministry. Why do we teach them to sing? Why do we give them instruments? 
to play. And if you don't know why, well, you're not alone because many adults, if you ask them, why do we sing when we come to church, don't really have a biblical answer for why. It's just what we always do, like singing Sweet Caroline in the eighth inning. It's wonderful, and I love it when we do, but don't ask me why we do it. And yet, Paul, in very clear and compelling language, says that one of the reasons he calls, God calls us together, one of the reasons the people of God gather together, one of the ways in which the invisible becomes visible and the body cares for one another and the gospel is rehearsed, is found in these simple words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that's what I want to take up briefly and hopefully amazingly because it's brief. Why we sing together. And in leading us through this, may I simply again, as I did last week, affirm we've been doing this already. We're doing it well by God's grace. It's a, it's a personal, I think, distinction and, and blessing of this church that we have, have rich deposits of, of servant leaders who play and sing and, and pick songs and, and bring us along in singing songs that in many ways accomplish this purpose Paul's outlined. So this is not a corrective message. This is a, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, we get to do this message and have them. But in case you have forgotten or perhaps have brought your past experience into our times of singing together and allow some of those conceptions to form our understanding, Paul is emphatic. Paul, in this letter in particular, is emphatic. He wants to impress the purpose for which we gather together and sing when we do. And it's this, my main point. God gathers us to sing in order to glorify Christ because of the gospel. That's what the scripture says. God gathers us together to sing in order to glorify Christ because of the gospel. And Paul, through his letter to the Colossians, wants to impress on us that purpose, and I do too. Let's look at the first point together, and Jim, this will be point number two. Singing together helps us remember the word of Christ. Singing together helps me remember the word of Christ. Let me ask you a question. What songs, Christian songs, hymns or otherwise, do you remember? Can you remember? If you don't remember all of it, what songs, hymns, can you remember that help you remember the benefits of the gospel? How about this one? And can it be that I should gain 
and interest in my Savior's blood. Who wrote that? Not Bob Coughlin. Not Keith and Kristen. Not Chris Tomlin. Not Hillsong. You know the song. It's been sung. That was Charles Wesley. Hark the herald. Angels singing. Glory to the newborn king. He wrote that one too. He wrote, in fact, I'm told, 7,500 of those hymns. That's almost how many songs Mike, Dan, and Jim have us rehearsing in our... But do you know that his brother, John, who God used to start the Methodist Church and was a force for gospel evangelism in Great Britain and abolitionism, might I add, and the holiness movement. He preached more than three times that many sermons. How many quotes from John's sermons do you know? Really? I'm under no illusion. You won't remember any of mine. Just, you'll remember the silly illustrations I provide each week, but you won't remember any of mine. But you do remember songs. And when you remember songs that have gospel realities, you're experiencing in that moment corporate worship, an invitation to join God's body and remember and rehearse Christ. What songs or verses or lines from songs we've sung or elsewhere help you remember the benefits of the gospel? That is how music helps me and you. That is how music helps you and me to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Music deepens our relationship with Christ through reminding us in a way that we remember what is true and as we rehearse it and as we sing it in the shower or in the car or wherever you are, the word of Christ dwells in us richly. I remember, you know my food illustrations are my favorite and they seem to please many of you. Do you remember... When we could go into a mall, like the Emerald Square Mall, or pick your favorite mall, and you'd be near that food court area. You know, you might be there to, I don't know, pick out a shirt or, or buy a spare tire, or whatever it is you go to malls for. But you'd be near the food court area, and you weren't intending to go to the food court, but then you'd smell it, right? You'd smell it. And there was one particular smell at the Emerald Square Mall that wasn't really near the food court area, but for illustrations purposes, I'm going to say it. It's... Oh, it was cinnamony, and it was buttery. Cinnamon, buttery, it was warm. And I've got very sensitive olfactory nerves. My nose starts twitching. And now I can't remember why I came to the mall for that shirt I'm supposed to get or that tire I need to go to Sears for. And I'm now moving in the direction of that smell until, voila, I am standing before, where am I? Auntie M's. And there they are. 
those cinnamon-covered pretzels. Now, I'd be lying to you if I said, oh, and I, it was enough to smell, and I left, and I went home and got my shirt and my spare tire. No. I won't be satisfied until I eat that pretzel, and that pretzel's dwelling in me richly. Right? And I don't think you will either. The reason we were made to sing. And the reason when we remember these songs we're singing that bring with them gospel realities, it affects us. It's because Christ, Christ is not only dwelling in you, He's speaking to you about what's true. About what's true. That's the first thing music does. It helps us remember the word of Christ. The second thing it does, it helps us to respond to God's grace wholeheartedly. Helps us to respond to God's grace wholeheartedly. This is point number three, Jim. Sorry for the... And when we think about what Scripture teaches, not only in Paul's letter, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with wisdom, singing psalms and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But when we remember that singing not only is highlighted here in in this passage, but has a rich Old Testament reality. Over 400, 400 invitations to, calls by, and songs provided for God's people to sing. I thought, but I didn't, but I thought I would come up and just prophesy this morning, which I can't just do that, but I'm just saying, just encourage people, sing, Sing, sing. But in scripture, it always comes with this caveat. With your whole heart. With your whole heart. When I was in high school, I had to take Dr. Zur. I think he has passed. Uh, excellent music teacher there at Radnor High School. I had a high soprano-esque voice. Got it down to be a tenor in high school so I could take someone to the junior prom. But I had a high-pitched voice. And he made me sing what was called solfagio, solfagio, which is basically being able to sing, um, not only reading music, but if he gave me a key by cue. Bauer, sing F-flat minor on page two. And he'd make me sing. And Dr. Zur, I mean, he could have played middle linebacker for uh, the local football team. You didn't mess with Jesse Zur. I mean, he, he expected you to sing. And by that meant he wanted your wholehearted effort. He wouldn't allow me to put on kind of that teenage cool attitude and be distant, cross my arms, go, Aah! you know. No, he wanted, he wanted wholehearted participation. And so I learned to sing Solfeggio, whatever it was called, a cappella, on point, with my whole heart, if you will, perhaps motivated not by grace but fear. But Jesus is telling you in his word to do that 
always. Verse 16, literally translated in the Greek, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to your hearts to God, according to one commentator. In other words, in grace, sing your hearts out to God. Don't you love that? Sing your hearts out to God. Now, how are we going to sing our hearts out to God? Well, we can only sing our hearts out to God if you and I first have received something. And what we've received is Jesus and his grace, which helps us to respond with wholehearted singing in our worship. The grace God has shown us in sending us Jesus to live a life we could never live, to die a substitutionary death in your place and mine, to rise from the dead so we could be forgiven and reconciled to God and restored to the family of God and now who is seated at the right hand of majesty and intercedes for us if we have received by faith that reality... God calls us to respond to that grace with wholehearted singing. Now, clearly, there's variety in how we sing. There's psalms. Perhaps it refers to literal psalms. There's hymns. Scholars argue over what this may be, but I'll just suggest it's hymns composed that honor Christ. And there's spiritual songs, which may be more spontaneous, extemporaneous, uh, responsive singing. But all three communicate that there's no single style that sufficiently captures the glory of God adequately or adequately expresses our response to God. But what it does signal is that God is worthy of your wholehearted singing to express gratefulness in any way you can. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that we might sing with everything we got, with our whole being, to Jesus. So, obviously, this must be releasing for the worship team. Worship is not a sound. It's not a pitch-perfect note. It's not a beautiful arrangement, though. You guys are always on pitch and perfect in arrangement, I'm sure, and... Worship, as Paul is describing it to the Colossians, is first and foremost from the heart in response to his grace. What do we sing at birthdays? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And we sing it with wholeheartedness. Because the person that we're celebrating, the child that we're honoring, the parent that we're loving, whoever's birthday it is, we want them to feel in that moment through our singing our sincere love and appreciation. Singing helps us to do that. It helps us to respond to God's grace wholeheartedly. So, question for you, when I sing with others, how can I? Participate more fully on Sundays. 
And secondly, what about singing with others? Do I find challenging or tedious or confusing or distracting? How can I respond to God's grace when we gather together singing with more of my whole heart? Last point, singing together reflects Christ's glory by deepening our unity together. As we sing together, remembering the word of Christ, and as we sing, responding to the grace Christ has given to us wholeheartedly, we see in this passage and passages like it that when we sing together, we reflect Christ's glory By deepening our unity together. Singing helps us reflect God's glory by deepening our unity together in Christ. Did you notice how our passage began in verse 11? In describing the church, and in particular this body or group of house churches there, uh, in Colossae, Paul said, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. And then he ends the section, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God in the Father through him. So when we sing, Not only are we encouraging one another in the gospel and the realities of it, we are saying to one another, we are unified in Christ. Is that what you see today in the body of Christ? I hear a lot of singing. Where's the unity? Because in this passage, the singing that's done is to remind God's people, in this case, Greek and Jew, they they clearly didn't have a lot in common, right? I don't know what a Scythian is, but it's probably one of these aliens in one of these video games that you don't want to, no offense to any Scythians, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. So if there's all this singing going on in the body of Christ, where's the gospel reality of unity? Unless... Unless we're not singing to Christ in our worship. Not in sense of a wholehearted response to his grace. But the word that dwells in us. The things that are preoccupying us. The passions and the debates and the, and the legitimate concerns. But nonetheless things that... that don't bring people together can be, can be and distract from what should be uniting us and to which singing brings us together for Christ's glory. In other words, this meeting will end and our strength is limited. But there is a day coming that Mike pointed us to where the purpose for our singing will be fulfilled finally and fully in heaven. And the things that seem to have 
divided Christians today, now in that space, are no more. And we are now united in a worship of the Lamb, in a worship of the risen King that calls into question the singing and the corporate worship that we do here. How does singing the same songs as others, friends, deepen your unity with Christ's people? And what song has God given you to sing to reflect his glory this week? I began last week's message talking about how Scripture calls us to use our imagination. That the muscle of imagination is needed if we're going to to respond to the invisible realities that Scripture portrays. And in responding, begin to, by a decision of our will, move towards them. Specific decisions to choose and move towards them. And then seeing somewhat of their reality lived out here. Mike read the passage during our call to worship, Revelation 5, 3 and 4. Jim, I don't know if we can put it up again. I'll read it, whether we can or not. But at the end of our Bibles, Revelation chapter 5, verses beginning in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can Open the scroll and its seven seals. Randy Alcorn, in an attempt to use his sanctified imagination in a book he wrote called Edge of Eternity, suggests as we think about the purpose of singing in light of this eternal, invisible reality, he wrote this. Now, this is his imagination to inspire us as we prepare to close our time. Most people know that will worship God in heaven. But they don't grasp how thrilling that will be. Multitudes of God's people of every nation, tribe, people, and language will gather to sing praise to Christ for his greatness, wisdom, power, and grace and the mighty work of redemption. And this is what he writes. The army begins to sing, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million. I added my voice to theirs, so he's imagining himself in heaven, And sang the unchained praises of the king. Only for a moment did I hear my own voice. Amazed to detect the increased intensity of the whole. One voice, even mine, made a measurable difference. But from then on, I was lost in the choir. Hardly hearing my voice. And not needing to. And we sang to the gathered throngs of Carus. The sheer power of their voices, our voices nearly bowled me over. 
Then suddenly the multitudes before us sang back to us, and our voices were drowned by theirs. We who a moment earlier seemed the largest choir ever assembled now proved to be only the small worship assemble that led the full choir of untold millions now lost to themselves. We sang together in full voice to him who made the galaxies, who became the lamb, who stretched out on the tree, who crossed the chasm, who returned the lion forever. The song's harmonies reached out and grabbed my body and soul. I became the music's willing captive. The galaxies and nebulae sang with us the royal song. It echoed off a trillion planets and reverberated in a quadrillion places in every nook and cranny of the universe. The song generated the light of a billion burning supernova. It blotted out all lesser lights and brought a startling clarity to the way things really were. It didn't blind, it illuminated, and I saw as never before. Our voices broke into 32 distinct parts, and instinctively I knew which of them I was made to sing. We sing for the joy of the work of your hands. We stand in awe of you. It felt indescribably wonderful to be lost in something so much greater than myself. There was no audience. I thought for a moment, for audience and orchestra and choir all blended into one great symphony, one grand cantata of rhapsodic melodies and powerful sustaining harmonies. No, wait, there was an audience. An audience so vast and all-encompassing that for a moment I'd been no more aware of it than a fish is aware of water. I looked at the great throne, and upon it sat the king. The audience of one. The smile of his approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. When we completed our song, the one on the throne stood and raised his great arms and clapped his scarred hands together in thunderous applause, shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos. His applause went on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. And in that moment, I knew with unwavering clarity that the king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. We'll give God's word the final say. You were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. Lord, in your grace and kindness you have for almost now 20 years allowed us to gather together both on Sunday settings as well as in small group homes and meeting spaces and other circumstances, certainly. And singing, singing has been heard. Singing about the one who lives and died for me. Lord, we would pray that as we continue to gather, that you would continue to lead us to sing in order to glorify Christ because of the gospel. 
and that singing together would reflect your glory, Lord Jesus, by deepening our unity together that is found in Christ alone. Lord, help us as we face so many challenges and uncertainties to sing those songs together with others that deepen our love for you and our unity with God's people and give us a song, even this week, this day, that we can carry into our week that will remind us of the benefits of the gospel, certainly, but then through the faith we receive, empower us to do with true faith in Christ always does. Love others more than ourselves. Lead us in your holy chorus, we pray. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.